Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Audiobooks are my kryptonite, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the Rolls Royce of audiobooks. Get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash whyitworks. Here with us today is Scott Taylor. Scott has over two decades of experience in the enterprise data management space. He helps large global enterprises solve their data challenges and leverage their data assets. He has worked with some of the world's most iconic business data brands, including Dun & Bradstreet, Nielsen, Kantar, and MPD. We speak to Scott from his home in Bridgeport, Connecticut, overlooking beautiful Black Rock Harbor. Welcome, Scott, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Joe. Delighted to be here. So we met over LinkedIn, and we both have a similar colleagues in the past and an interest in technology. I was curious about your approach to data. At a high level, how do you think about it these days? Because it's all the rage, data analytics. It, it's everywhere. I mean, everything anybody touches anywhere in business now turns to data. And it's gotten to the point where you need to be focused on it so strategically. It's not a choice anymore. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, it was. It's a, I will tell you personally, it's a great time to have a couple of decades of experience in the data business where yes. a lot of people are suddenly discovering it. And there are some basic fundamental principles that help people understand, okay, where do I start? Where do I, where do I begin that um, I found really add a lot of value to folks? But uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to, especially too, having been in the data business for so long, to see people just realize it's not a choice. I've got to do something. And I'm so curious from your standpoint as someone who's been in the business for, for many decades, was there some sort of inflection point either in the technology or the way people think about it or both that has kind of led to what I could, I guess, call like a surge in interest and, and activity around that? I, I, it, it's a bunch of combinations of things that have happened. So and they're kind of classic when you look at them all individually. Okay, cloud, the ability to access software and data without having a whole bunch of hardware. Um, mobile, obviously social, all of these things coming together. And this idea too that people are going through what is generally considered a digital transformation, right? Moving from analog to digital, moving from manual to automated really trying to scale the activities and the ability for people to connect in ways that nobody ever dreamed of before. And a lot Mm -hmm. of those things have come about individually, but they're all converging now. And I think we're at a time, they talk about the fourth industrial revolution. You know, I consider it the data revolution. That's where we're in right now. And, uh, and people in a revolution, they're either going to survive or not. And um, that's kind of the precipice a lot of people are on. But it's this convergence of all these things that look like they might have been independent that are all coming together. Yeah, it's it's an amazing time. So let's get to know you a little bit better. Explain to us what you do, but do me a favor and tell us as if we were five-year-olds. Okay. 
I help people manage and understand how to get value out of a thing called data. Data is something that helps machines go. So when you think about computers, when you think about computerized machines, when you think about any type of screen that you look at that things happen on, what's behind the scenes is data. And Mm -hmm. so you can really think of data as food for machines. It's machine food. It's a really simple Ah, way to think about it. Excellent, excellent. And um, there's lots of different kinds of data. There's lots of different ways that people look at it. I tend to focus more on literally that kind of machine food data, the basic, you know, eggs, bread, milk, flour, basic stuff that people buy for their kitchen Mm -hmm. uh, to make the basics. It's the foundational kind of data. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. And let me explain why. Uh, we had a previous conversation over the phone and you were really able to explain to me some technical concepts and the way things work in a way that a non-technical person like me was really able to understand. And and I found your use of metaphors uh, very good. And you just used a great metaphor just now with, with, with the food and the bread and the milk. I'm curious, you probably have to deal with people at different levels of seniority and different levels of technical ability from a super technical person to maybe someone who's more a businessy sales type person. What's your approach to dealing with, with the different off audiences and being able to communicate effectively? One thing for sure is understand who that audience is. That's just basic communication. Am I talking to a technical person? Am I talking to a CEO? I will tell you the higher up you are in an organization, the simpler you need to be the more straightforward you need to be and the more the cleaner you need to be in your language and your vocabulary. And I've found kind of ways to fit in the middle of the technical and the business side to be able to get this technical world, which is filled with jargon. It's filled with, you know, the newest, hottest thing. It's almost like if you don't understand what people are saying, they're kind of making progress technically. That's the way I view it. Um, but it can be very intimidating. It can be very confusing. And if you don't dig past that, they might actually be doing the wrong thing for the business. So you've got to start mm-hmm. off. I, I find it really exhilarating to be able to explain these things to tech, to business people without using that kind of technical jargon. Um, there's a classic structure in database design and software design and any kind of technology where there's three phases, really. There's what they call the conceptual the logical and the physical. And I work at very much the conceptual level. Mm-hmm. That's the level that you're supposed to be able to explain things by moving your arms around. Maybe you scribble something on a napkin. People just can understand truly the concept. The logical part is, okay, how would they all fit together? Again, it's more of a design phase. We've got this system and it needs to connect to that system. And then the physical is really getting it done, right? So fingers on keyboards, programming, I'm really good at the conceptual. I think I can get technically through logical, but I do not get physical. I don't touch anything. That's where I stay out of it. And a lot of my success has been based on the fact of where I know where my strengths are. So I don't get into that. I'm more around the why than the how. Great. Let me ask you a question related to that. 
I may or may not be known for in my family for kind of just nodding my head, even if I don't understand something <laughs> that's being explained to me. Does that ever happen to you? You know, when you're when you're dealing with folks, like you kind of notice that maybe they're just nodding because they don't want to seem like they don't understand. And and how do you kind of approach that? Because obviously, in your in your various positions, it's not a good thing for them not to get it and just nod their head, right? That doesn't really help you accomplish your goals. Right, right. No, that's a, that's a great question. It happens all the time. And in my experience, I don't know if the proportions are exactly a third, a third, a third, but I find sort of three groups that I tend to deal with. Okay. They're the folks who already get it. And by getting it, they tend to be more technical. They have some understanding. They tend to smile and appreciate my way to describe what they do. Mm-hmm. Way over on the other pole, there are people who just do not get it. I mean, I've had people say to me, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Uh, you know, I, 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 what do you mean? All I want to do is, you know, all I want is this answer. I don't know why I need to know all the rest of this stuff. And then right. there's the people in the middle who kind of are converted. That's uh-huh. what I tend to really focus on because, okay. all right, so let me bring you over there. And a lot of the principles of data management, of a thing called master data, which is the type of data I have most expertise on, those are things that are very common. They're in all kinds of activities, but they tend not to be seen. And once you can recognize them, then you can see them everywhere. And so part of my job is to help people recognize where that data might come up and then they realize how important it is. So a really good example of that is if you filled out a form on the web and you had a put your state in there. You're filling out your address. Okay. And in the state field, there's a drop-down menu and it would have a list of 50 states. That list is really called master data or reference data. When you have people realize that's not magic, that didn't just come there. People, you know, software doesn't just have it in there. Somebody had to create that list. Oh, like of the 50 states. And you point at those really simple examples and you say, okay, now take that idea. And it can be, for instance, so what's your list of top 100 customers? Do you have that list? Is that consistent? Is that standardized. That didn't just show up there. That data, that list, if you will, that's master data. That's foundational data. And it needs a lot of management and a lot of focus in your business. So everything else will work. Like a report you want of your top hundred customers. If you don't have a common understanding of what that those customers are and how to define it, you're going to get a bad list. You're going to get wrong answers. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, great. I'm excited to learn more. Let's take a look at our first clip, uh, which is a bit of an interesting blend between technology and humanity. Put it back on the game. Hey, buddy. We're going to play a fun game today called Copycat Ralph, Copy Me. Ah. Uh. Do you like being late? See, he talks to the light and the light turns green. Wow. Actually, a star that looks like this. This is what the sun looks like. So around the 
beautiful. The lights are back on, and it has everything to do with a very special young man they are calling the boy who weeps. It's working. The business world is taking. We have to synchronize everything. Très spécial, l'enfant qui faisait bip. So Scott, explain a little bit about what we were seeing there, obviously, because it was just the audio and kind of uh, how that might apply to our conversation today. Yeah, I love that commercial ever since I first saw it, because it's like you said, it's this beautiful blend of technology and humanity. But you're seeing this boy who can control machines. He kind of breathes Bluetooth. He burps out master data. (laughs) If you think about it literally, he is able to connect with machines and behind the scenes there, which is always where the data really goes to work. It's behind the scenes for that to actually work. Let's take that literally okay. to be able to connect with a machine. That tone that comes out of his mouth is able to be a remote control to change the channel for his dad and be able to make the, I love that little, you know, there's a love story in there too, right? You know, he lets that candy drop um, that great shot of all the airplanes just turning in this beautiful synchronized kind of ballet. Yeah. That doesn't happen without incredibly precise technology and machines that need to be fed really good food. So it's a great way to sort of illustrate, okay, the power of data. And even in the end there, what is when you speak the language of, of business or speak the language of industry, that last sign, uh, that last comment that really is what master data, reference data, metadata, there's a lot of different words for it. This underlying foundational data really becomes is a common language, a way for things to interoperate, a way for things to connect better. And it's just such a, it's, you know, wonderfully produced. It's a great little example of it. What I really struck me about it is it kind of showed the possibilities of what's possible, right? Like if you think about how we first started to interact with computers and you were like in DOS, right? Like you're, you're typing commands or you're doing basic. And and now it's gotten to the point where we can actually talk on a limited basis. Uh, It's kind of moving to the point. I think I read something about MIT where they have this thing where it it can actually read like your brainwaves and there are certain commands that you think, and then it, you know, the computer can read it. I mean, it's just the the possibilities are, are incredible when you can, it's that connection, right? It's that interface to get things to work together that is, that is so powerful. And I think probably master data plays a, plays a huge part of that. It, 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 it's literally those things don't happen without it. Yeah. And which is why it's so exciting to be the field I'm in. I'm looking for research to sort of support this, but my hypothesis is the simpler things become for users, the mm-hmm. more complex it is behind the scenes. There's a classic anecdote. It was an experience I had very early in my career, been selling data forever. And it was in the days where people could kind of say, well, we don't really think we need it. This guy said, Scott, that all sounds great. But you know what? He was the head of sales at this organization. And he goes, that all sounds great. But you know what? When I need something, all I got to do is push a button. 
And this really courageous guy at the end of the table stands up and he says, sir, I'm the button. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and and so there's all this complication. He wants, you know, here's my top customer report. All I got to do is, you know, say, Joe, I need it or, you know, Bill, I need it. And I'll, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. So it, you know, the day will come, I'm sure where there's an Alexa or a Siri of business where you say, okay, I want this. I need this. I'm looking for this. There will be a lot more data, a lot more technology behind the scenes than that poor guy was just running reports. So again, I think it's the, the, the simpler it becomes for the user, the more complex it's going to be behind the scenes. Yeah. And one last quick point on that before we head into our next uh, clip is it's sort of ironic, right? What you want is you want the user experience to be super simple. So they think nothing's going on, right. but on the back end, you want it to be so complex and sophisticated so you can do amazing things for that user to the point where they don't even realize how amazing it is. That's kind of where you want to get to, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the you know, data is, these things literally do not work without data. They don't work without well-structured, well-governed, data that is well managed. That's why data management is so important. Great, great. So let's take a look at our next video. This one's a bit of a trip down memory lane. In the beginning, there was TV and it was good. It came in black and white and then color. Then cable appeared, followed by those ridiculous satellite dishes. Adding so many channels, it was hard to find what you wanted to watch. Enter the internet with a modem and a router and another router, all networked to stuff. Before we knew it, there were DVDs, DVRs, Blu-rays, Netflix, and more remotes than you literally know what to do with. Introducing Altice One. All your home entertainment is finally under one roof. Altice One. Experience the one. Only from Optimum. So, Scott, I don't know what I liked more there, the fashion or the (laughs) different old school technology and the, oh, I remember that shrill, like, dial-up sound when you were, oh, my gosh. That modem squeak. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So what what can we learn uh, from this sort of trip down memory lane and kind of the the march of technology? Yeah, for me, this is is a great sort of, again, if you think about the business perspective or the business version of this, this is the desire for someone to manage and get access to all their content and the trip and the journey that people have had to go through to start off with really what now look obviously almost primitive kind of technology, adding new ways to capture and deliver content. And they say there's modems and all these spaghetti wires behind the scenes. Netflix is appears in there, all these new ways to get shows and entertainment. But what do they want at the end of it? So why is this such a compelling proposition that I'm certainly waiting for it to come to my neighborhood Mm. because it's a really simple interface to just get all the content I want. It's all Mm -hmm. integratable. It's all accessible. I need one button. And that desire of that VP of sales is still true. All I want to do is push a button. And in that little clip where she just goes, find comedies. 
that's going to take a tremendous amount of structured data behind the scenes and a mm-hmm. whole bunch of technology that didn't exist before. But the desire is still there. I want that entertainment. I still want that content. Even just saying fine comedies, what does that mean? That means that every piece of media content that it somehow needs to be classified as a comedy. Netflix is blown open this whole genre, subgenre, taxonomy structure they have. They put a lot of analytics behind it, but none of that works without well-structured master and reference data behind the scenes. So, you know, here are romantic comedies that also have a dog in them, whatever that kind of choice is. So this, for me, there's a lot of, I think, business enterprises going through, through very similar journeys. And if you think about entertainment content, being their customer experience, their customer history. They've always had a customer history, but how do I get at that better? How do I make that more integrated? And then how do I be able to to serve those customers in a more elegant fashion to anticipate their needs and so on? It's going to, it shows this driving towards this consolidation of sources with an easy interface to get to it. One thing I find so fascinating about the customer-centric view of what you're talking about is it's been well-documented, you know, in psychological studies that humans don't do well with too many choices, right? So to use an example, I can't remember the book I read it in, but there was this woman and she was visiting from another country. She was in the U.S. She was at the college bookstore and she was just standing there and it was like she was paralyzed and a professor came by and she was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm trying to buy a pen. And he was like, well, what's the problem? She was like, there are like 40 different pens in different colors, sizes, you know, widths. She was like, you know, back home, there's like three pens to pick from. (laughs) And I feel like to use your example of the comedy, right? Like think about all the comedies that have ever been made. So to return back, even a subset of that, it's not really helpful to me. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe I'm not the kind of person who wants a comedy from, you know, the 50s, or maybe I'm the type of person who doesn't like a comedy that's more modern or doesn't like romantic comedy. So there's right. really an importance in sort of being able to, when you press that button, bring back things that are actually going to be helpful to the customer. Oh, absolutely. It, it takes two sides. It takes, okay, understanding customer needs, classic stuff, doesn't want to matter what business you're in. You've got to understand your customer needs at some level of granularity, different mm-hmm. types of customers. Every doesn't, every doesn't, doesn't buy or want the same things. But on the other side, you need to have that structured taxonomy, that way to organize all, the, all that stuff you have to meet those needs. So if you think about basic you know, biology taxonomy, right? Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I love rattling those off. <laughs> those are all ways to, you know, if you think about that and apply that to your business, you might have, okay. you know, here's a customer or here's a supplier. And within customers, here's my big ones or my global ones. And here's my local ones. And here's the ones who buy this kind of stuff. And here's the ones who buy that kind of stuff. And you get all the way down this kind of taxonomy and structure. Then you can begin to tailor and customize and meet those client needs with a lot more accuracy, a lot more effectiveness. Yeah. It always comes back to me around structure, around sorting stuff. I actually go all the way back. I think I'm kind of hardwired for this space because my parents told me when I was a kid, instead of building with my Lego blocks, I sorted them. So I (laughs) literally my first entry into the data business. 
All right, tell me the truth, Scott. There's something very soothing about that, right? Sorting M and M's, and you know, so, so if your kids sort blocks out there, they're going to be in the data business. You want to encourage that. So that's an excellent tip yeah. for parents out there. <laughs> it's a burgeoning field. <laughs> Great. So let's take a look at our next clip, which is a movie, and this movie kind of. You know, I work in the privacy field and I love sci-fi. And this movie freaked me out a little bit when I saw it at the time. Um, and maybe it freaks me out even a little bit more so now, now that the technology has certainly uh, advanced, that it doesn't seem as science fiction maybe as it did when I first saw it. A road diverges in the desert. Lexus. The road you're on, John Anderton, no is the one less traveled. Hello, Mr. Yakamoto. Welcome back to the Gap. How those assorted tank tops work out for you? Mr. Yakamoto. Hey, Miss Belford, did you come back for another pair of those chamois lace-ups? So, Scott, what's happening here as he's walking through various public spaces and into stores? He's at, you know, at the very sort of superficial level. He's getting targeted advertising. Hmm directly related and, and, and targeted and customized for him. And that is Nirvana for the media space, for the advertising space. So, you know, Minority Report is referred to as in, in if you go to any advertising conference, somebody's going to mention it at some point. I don't know, <laughs> you know, that movie's what, you know, it's the Holy Grail, old, right? 15 years, right. Disability to sort of serve up the right message to the right person at the right time in the right context. Those are all Nirvana kinds of things for the median brand owner space. And again, if you take this literally, so this is, you know, Steven Spielberg's fabulous, you know, um, imagination a decade or so ago or however long ago it was, but it takes a tremendous amount of technology behind the scenes, right? So his eyes, if you think about that movie, I guess your retina scan was your unique identifier. Okay. The, cameras that he passes by every time his eyes flash that's kind of the system recognizing his identity okay when you log into a system today right it's what's your password that's your identity when you give somebody your social security number that's your identity when they scan your your credit card that's your identity different forms of your identity but in this case it's all kind of again integrated it's all interoperable and it's able to do really what they call today location-based or place-based advertising and, and uh, media delivery. And if you think behind the scenes, what do you need? You need a really, first of all, you need to know who he is. You need some structured data about here's an identity. I've validated this identity. That's the right person, whatever the technology is that does that. Again, I don't get into the technical side, but you can kind of see how it, how it works there. Then I've got to be able to go into a repository of the appropriate brands that might relate, in this case, to his demographic so, or his purchase experience. And that means you've got to have a really well-structured 
again, the way I explain it, list of brands. It's a database, it's a master file, whatever you call it, but all these things are basically big fancy lists. You've got to be able to coordinate that with the right creative execution. It has to be placed in the right um, timing. And you figure there's five other people walk by him afterwards by that screen and they're being served a different thing. Mm. So this Nirvana appears, you know, when you, the programmatic advertising today, when you log into a site and when it first came out, it was really annoying because you would buy something and then all you would do is get ads for the thing you just bought, right? They figured <laughs> that out. I bought these theater tickets. Why are they asking me in the next three weeks to buy the same theater tickets? But it's improved more as the data got better, as you kind of anticipate somebody's need based on other activity. It's the same version of this minority report. We'll skip the pre-crime part of that movie. Right, right, the right. The kind of paranoia, freaky part of it. So when you think about it from the brand owner or media side, that's really what folks still want to do today. Uh -huh. um, how do I serve up that right message, the right place, influence that person at the perfect time? Again, Tom Cruise is going through something else mentally in that movie, but if it was just me or you walking through the mall and we saw those things and we were okay with the kind of creep factor, some people get kind of creeped out by that stuff. But I think that will start to go away as people realize it's not about being creepy. It's about, I'm just trying to help you with the right time in the right place. So let, let me ask you about that. I know the, this isn't uh, the main part of what you do, but it's probably something you've thought about. How do you see kind of, maybe it's not a line, but, but how do you see the difference between, I'm helping you versus I'm helping myself by influencing you in a way to do something that maybe you wouldn't have normally done if I hadn't hit you so specifically. Like it's getting to the point where if you know the right time of day, the right, you know, emotion, the right, you know, that you can actually really kind of guide maybe manipulates too strong a word maybe it's not but how do you see sort of that shaping up because as as we get as the data gets more powerful and you know it, it just starts to feel a little bit more like now instead of them just knowing what i want and giving it to me and i really want it it's like they're actually almost making me want it a little bit yeah i mean there's a certain school of thought that thinks that advertising's always done that mm. but that's a good point. You know, I think the, that line I, it, is still being drawn. There's a yeah. lot of gray areas there. So, and, and I think it depends a lot. You know, my line will change depending on my mood too. So the brands and media, they're trying to push it. They're trying to find that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. I think that struggle will always be there. But I tend to be a rather optimistic, positive guy. Okay. And, and um if these machines can help me do what I need to do and they know more about my needs and can help me get there, people really do want that. Yeah. Um, it's when, you know, when you get to the manipulative side, you know, there's plenty of talk about what's been going on with, you know, the elections and all that kind of stuff. And I stay sure. on purpose. I actually stay on purpose away from personal data. I'm my and consumer data. I'm on the business side and sort of right. business things instead of people. So I don't really get involved in a lot of that. But like you say, I'm, kind of in the bleachers watching it. Yeah. And when it works, it's great. I think as these systems and these media companies and these platforms give people more choice, that tends to be part of it too. Look, I don't ever want to be bothered mm -hmm. or I would like to be informed at the right, in the right way. As these systems begin to learn about what you do and your habits and your 
wants and needs, they should be more finely tuned to be able to deliver that kind of thing. But it's, you know, we're still a long ways away from, from programming subtlety and nuance. Um, you hope it gets there, but uh, I find when it, where the lines get crossed are kind of when people realize, how could you possibly have found that out about me? <laughs> wait, wait yeah. that shouldn't influence that. How did you know that? Yeah. And um, that's where people start to get a little creeped out. But yeah. you know, I'm looking for a car right now. I'm trying to buy, if they started to figure out that the, I'm looking for this SUV crossover, a certain type of car, if there were things that served me up the right kind of information right now, I would gladly take it. So there's, with everything, there's a balance. I don't have a straightforward answer, but sure. Everybody's, I think a lot of the intention, certainly from brand owners, are good intentions. Mm-hmm. So as long as they can stay focused on that part, I think we'll, we'll find the right path. All right. Thanks. Really great to get your perspective on that. So let's take a look at our last clip. It is a classic, uh, which you uh, very kindly shared and did a little bit of editing for me. So thank you for that, Scott. I sell a tips on the horses. I got us something that they can't lose, one dollar. No, some other time. I'm sorry. I'm betting on Sunup. Some other time, huh? One dollar and you'll remember me all your life. That's the most nauseating proposition I ever had. Thank you. ZVBXRPL. I had that same horse when I had my eyes examined. Well, that's not the real name of the horse. That's the name of the horse in code. Look in your code book. What do you mean, code? Yeah, look in the code book. That'll tell you what horse you got. Well, I haven't got any code book. You know got a code book? You know where I can get one? Well, just by accident, I think I got a... Right here. Here you are. ZVBXRPL, page 34. Hey, ice cream. I can't make head or tail out of this. Oh, that's all right. Look in the master code book. That'll tell you where to look. Master code? I haven't got any master code book. You know got a master code book? No, do you, uh, do you know where I can get one? Well, uh, just by accident, I think I got one right here. <laughs> there you are. Z-V-B-X-R-P-L. The letter Z stands for J unless the horse is a filly. Hey, Tootsie Fruitsie, is the horse a filly? I don't know, look in your breeder's guide. Get your ice cream, Tootsie. What do you mean, breeder's guide? I haven't got any breeder's guide. You haven't got a breeder's guide? Where can I get one as though I didn't know? One is no good. You have to have the whole set. How much is the set? One dollar. One dollar? Yeah. Four for five. Well, all right. I'll, I'll give me the four of them. There's no use throwing away money, eh? All right. Hey. This hey. is all I'm buying, too. I didn't want so much. I thought you could do this quickly. Hey. ZVBXRPL is Bynes. Yeah, that's all right. That's eh? right. Bynes? Yeah. yeah. Just someday the code gives you the name of the jockey instead of the horse. Now you find out who Jockey Points is riding, and that's the horse you bet on. That's easy. Get the ice cream, footsie, footsie. Oh, I'm getting the idea of it. I didn't get it for a long time, you know. It's pretty tricky when you don't know it, isn't it, huh? It's not that book. Huh? It's not that book. It's not It's not that book. No. Oh, I see. No, it's not that book. Huh? It's not that book. No, you haven't got that book. Get your tootsie, footsie. I'm getting a fine Tootsie Prutzing right here. Here's a $10 bill and, and shoot the change, will you? They're going to the post, eh? I got a no change. I'll have to give you nine more books. You don't eh? mind, huh, boss? You take a nine more books. Nine right? more? Yeah. Say, you don't handle any bookcases well, there, do you? Well, you're coming tomorrow, anyway. 
I didn't know that you needed so That's much. It's all right. Thing is going to win I on the horses today. I just walk up and bet on a horse. Yeah. Jackie Bynes, 152. That's Rosie. Rosie, yeah? Flow. Oh, boy, look. 40 to 1. 40 to 1. Oh, huh? what a horse. Rosie. Hey there, big boy. Two dollars on Rosie, huh? Sorry, that race is over. Huh? I say the race is over. Over? Who won? <laughs> So uh, what were we seeing here, Scott? We're seeing we're seeing classic Marx Brothers scene. First of all, apologies to any purists out there. Yes, I was almost, I felt almost sacrilegious editing out Groucho and Chico, but wanted to get to sort of the, <laughs> the points we were trying to illustrate here, which is this could be at a certain level a, a standard conversation between a CIO and a CEO. All Groucho's the CEO, Chico's the CIO. All Groucho wants is to move the business forward. I want a simple answer. You hear him saying, I thought this was going to be easier. I didn't know I needed to buy all this stuff. What an hour yeah. this. And you get the CIO just say, oh, you need a breeder's guide. You need a, you know, code book. You need a master code book. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and it's what happens, right? You got to buy this. Now I got to buy that. Now I got to buy this. And it's all, you know, gets more and more complicated. And even down to, I love this, you know, clip, and I'm sure it's rarely used in the data management space, but, you know, even ZVBXRPL, right? You got this complicated code, a unique identifier for that particular piece of insight, if you will, that needs a cross-reference file in the master code book. You know, what does he say? Z stands for J unless the horse is a filly, so you need another translation table somewhere else to <laughs> map this out with a data model and go, okay, we can whiteboard how we're going to get there. But you really see this desire, again, to push this analogy a little bit, of the business side, Groucho, just simply wanting a tip. And the IT side, just making it more and more complicated. Hmm. So what are the kind of things that companies who get it do differently to help the CEO get to where they need to be faster? One thing, again, and it's kind of classic, you know, technology objectives, you know, let's meet the business needs. The successful organization, successful enterprise that I've found, no matter what they make, they can make cars, they can be in finance, they can make food, they can be insurance, doesn't matter. They all have a thing called customer. Mm -hmm. So they buy things from people, they sell things from people, they make things, those three domains, if you will, who you sell to, who you buy from, and what you make those lists, those files, they have to have some standardization about them. So for mm -hmm. instance, the organizations that I work with that do really well, they will have a common language. They'll have a glossary. They'll have what they call a business glossary. They'll have a standard set of nomenclature, standard set of terminology that say, okay, a customer is defined as this. And that may seem curious. Well, why can't you define a customer clearly? Because if they bought something, they haven't bought something in the last five years, but we're still calling on them. Is that a customer? Not, you know, those, those determinations are made by that particular category or by that particular business, but you need to have a shared vocabulary, a common language across your organization. So everybody understands it. Then you begin to codify that, if you will, and you put some very simple structure around it. And the complications that I've found consistently and so the reverse of that, the companies that are able to really excel consistently start with these basics. And they start with actually what I call the four C's of master data, these four th things. If you can put it on a record, if you can put it on a relationship, if you can put it on a product or any of those basic entities, as they call them, mm -hmm. 
you need a code. You need a unique identifier. This, you know, ZVBXRPL. You could use that if you want to. Mm -hmm. But it uniquely identifies a record, and that's the foundation. That's kind of the anchor for the structure. You need to know the company. What does that thing belong to? Is there a parent-child relationship? Are there different levels of a hierarchy that you work at? And every kind of enterprise deals with different levels of other enterprises. Do I call on the ship to or the bill to or the sell to or the headquarters or the local store? You know, all these different family trees. You need to have a category is the third C. What kind of thing is this? Mm -hmm. What vertical is it in? What genre is it in? What trade channel is it in? Those, that, the types of things are going to be different by the different business areas, but you still need a category. What am I dealing with? Market share is driven by that. Okay, we have this much share in this category of these kinds of things, of soda or of automobiles or of finance. Those are all categories. It's all category structure. And then you need, just because they all start with C, I call it country or some form of geography. You kind of know where it is. Mm -hmm. and geography's got all kinds of confusion and granularity. If somebody says, we're going to do something in the New York market, what does that mean? Is that the media market? Is that the sales market? Is it a special measurement market? It all called New York, but it can be geographically different shapes. So if you know where everything is, and you know what kind of thing it is, and you know who owns it, and you know it's unique, there's a tremendous number of data management problems that go away mm. or don't even start. It's that big. And that's the world I live in. It's just forget about all the fancy reporting and, you know, these new initiatives, all this other cool, sexy stuff mm -hmm. and just get down to the basics, code, company, category, country, live at that, understand that, have that as your foundation truly. And then you can build your house. Yeah, one of the things I love uh, about what you're talking about, uh, the four C's and at the risk of oversimplifying a little bit, what I was hearing from you is it really helps you foundationally get to the right place, mm -hmm. you know? And from there, you can, you can refine it and you can slice it more thinly. But those four C's help you fundamentally get to the right neighborhood, the right city, the right place. So everything you do in addition to that makes it even more powerful and, and that business data is, is so much more useful to people versus if you're in the wrong neighborhood to begin with, it doesn't matter how much other stuff you throw at it, you're, you're lost. Exactly, exactly. And those are, you begin to trust the data more. So you begin mm -hmm. to, and you know, problem with business is people spend way too much time managing data instead of actually doing something with it. Yeah. You want to feed the machine, you want to move your business forward and if you spend more time cleaning and managing that data than you do actually using it, you're wasting time, you're wasting resources, you're wasting the effort. And there are people who are better than you at the data side, and mm -hmm. they are going to compete with you in ways that you never thought of before. Again, I try and work at a very straightforward level. Everybody knows Excel, they know pivot tables, right? So a pivot table is a way to sort of spin that data around, okay, what markets are we in? What are our mm -hmm. best markets? Who are our top customers? What are our best categories? What are our best, well, who are our biggest customers within these categories, within these markets? Those are all pivots. And the way I talk about data management is people are really good at columns, adding more and more different columns of data, more and more sources, but they're not good at rows. 
Uh, they don't get the row part of it. So right, rows, right. Are the, rows are the tough part. And uh, <laughs> anybody can add a column. And I mean, there's a good example of, you know, when we were talking about earlier, how people get it. I explain it that way and people go, oh, okay. Yeah. I get, you know, everybody knows rows and columns and business. And it's as straightforward as that. You can have a really highly technical person in the room go, well, it's more complicated. I go, I know it's more complicated, but you know, we got to start somewhere. You're not going to get the money from this guy unless he understands. <laughs> I'm going to help you. Baby steps, baby steps. Yeah, baby steps, baby steps. So, Scott, it's been a real treat to talk to you today and learn from you about data management. Is there anything you're working on that you'd like to share or contact information for our audience if they'd like to learn more? Sure. First of all, it's been a ball too, Joe. It was great to get your note. It's been really fun to talk about this. I love your whole... Your video approach, I haven't seen that anywhere. That's so fun to kind of think about what we would talk about and take some things that probably don't immediately look like they're about the topic and kind of relate Thank them. It's just a great, a great approach that you've got. Thank you. So, um, you know, I'm working on a lot of content myself, kind of putting thought leadership out there. I'm a bit of a business evangelist trying to help people really understand the value, the strategic business value of data. So I'm certainly working on, if you follow me on LinkedIn, if you follow a playlist that I'm building called Data Management Minutes, which are really kind of short videos that sort of explain what the whole space is about. I never talk technically. I never do a demo. So um, <laughs> it's really kind of the conversational part. And, you know, the way I kind of test it out, okay, if my dad understands it, if my mom understands it. My kids are in the digital marketing space, so they're probably understanding it as well as I do, if not more these days. But, you know, can you explain it across the table to somebody who's not in the space? That's the world I'm trying to live in. So if you, again, follow me on LinkedIn and, and, and look at this data management minutes and uh, I do a lot of public speaking and um, writing and blogging and all that kind of stuff too. So I'll be out there. And if people like it, I'd love to get comments back, love to tackle a topic, love to chat with folks about the data space. I love the data space. Thanks, Scott. And I will share all those links uh, on my podcast page so folks can find them easily. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you for sharing your insights on why it works. You bet, Joe. Thank you so much. Like Usernames and Passwords, a great audiobook to go with this podcast is In Pursuit of Elegance by Matthew E. May. To receive a free copy of this or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash why it works. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash why it works for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash why it works. That's www.patreo n.com slash why it works thank you and remember the enemy of learning is boring thanks for listening to this episode of why it works for more information about joe kwanjo coaching as well as access to my articles videos and podcasts visit joe and stay tuned for our next why it works adventure 